Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more, but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of these getting started moments and the lessons learned along the way. I'm grateful to have you listening in along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Mike Petrakis, who is the co-founder and CEO of Batch, the world's leading platform to plan and book a bachelor or bachelorette party. And we go in the throes of a lot of things that founders, you know, deal with, you know, that ideation phase. How do you grow that into an actual business, raising capital, you know, scaling the business and hiring. And even, you know, during the pandemic, their business is heavily, heavily relying on travel. So how did they make that pivot, that shift? How did they get through that time and come out on the other end um, a lot more successful? So we had a great conversation. I'm excited for you all to listen in. So without further ado, please welcome in Mike Petrakis. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Thanks for uh, getting me on the show. Yeah, man. Excited to uh, to chat with you. Obviously, we'll spend a lot of time talking about uh, uh, Batch and, and some of the stuff y'all are doing there. I thought we'd start because I'm always you know curious uh, with your background and, and I want to learn more about it. And, and maybe it's how you got to this point. But you started another business as well. Like, were you always entrepreneurial growing up or did that kind of, you know, kind of spawn out of some randomness? Like, like I always like to ask, like when you were 15, what were you going to do for a living? Like, what would you want to do when you grew up? Um, yeah. We'll start there. Sure. Um, man, 15, I, I probably had no idea. I think that the, there were a couple of defining moments that led to entrepreneurship though. Um, first I was at the university of Richmond. I, was recruited to run track and field in college and then um, kind of realized that I probably wasn't going to be a professional runner. And that kind of led me to think about, well, what would you want to work on? I had an advertising internship after my freshman year uh, year at, at Richmond and it was at a great agency. It's really good experience, but it was too corporate for me. So I went to, um, I, I just started thinking about startups and entrepreneurship, read all the Tim Ferriss stuff way back in, this is like 20, 11, 2012. And then, um, and four hour work week was kind of interesting to me at the time and, um, and the principles behind that book. And then I, um, I actually had a, a career running career ending injury. I broke my neck in a snowboarding accident. Mm-hmm. And then that actually led me to pursue entrepreneurship because I was home out of school while my friends were partying. I was, I was home reading books about startups and, um, kind of how that was a really pivotal time during, you know, six months that I was out, um, when thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. So that actually led to all the pursuits thereafter. When you read, uh, for our work week and some of these others, was that well before the injury or was that kind of in the same, it just happened to be kind of serendipity. You had already read some of those or were reading them and then it happened. I remember that that's when Barnes and Noble was still around. So yeah. I went there and just like found all the relevant books to entrepreneurship. And it's funny because at college um, there wasn't, we had an entrepreneurship focus in the management school, which I, you know, that, that was what I was pursuing. 
it was relatively, I don't want to say premature. It was just very early for a lot of colleges. So the, they would just reference, you know, things like Tim Ferriss books because they just didn't, they didn't know how to teach entrepreneurship. So what they ended up doing was just saying, Hey, go start your own company and see what happens. Oh, wow. So you're on this, on this snowboarding accident, you're on this trip, like, was this like life threatening or what, what was the, the stag that kind of concerned me when I heard that, like, where were, know, where were you? Yeah, it was, uh, it definitely wasn't good, but, um, I, I had to go through all the like physical rehab therapy to just kind of get back to walking again. I was in a wheelchair for a bit and, um, but I did have a hundred percent recovery and my whole thing is like, I love running. I love being outside and um because of that injury it kind of let me like you know realize how much i care about like being you know the passion for the outdoors Mm -hmm. and i just did every single thing they told me to through the pt process and uh, and fortunately i was i'm completely fine yeah so you're sitting there you're you're reading these books you're you know sitting up in the bed and you're like crap i can't really do anything what was the like what did you decide like what were some of the early ideas of businesses you wanted to start or things you wanted to do maybe they maybe they panned out maybe they didn't but i'm just curious kind of where your head went as you started to think through this journey sure so at the time i was into the local um, music scene like independent artist representation i thought that was kind of cool um just because that's like very entrepreneurial that somebody's like, Hey, listen to my music. I want to go perform. And then selling tickets like made a lot of sense. And then also like experimenting with clothing brands and thinking about t-shirt businesses, because that was a relatively straightforward business model in terms of how much you're paying to, um, you know, to, to construct a t-shirt versus how much you're selling for that. So that was, that was a good, very early on, kind of like starting business to say, oh, let's sell some t-shirts and see what happens. And then that actually led into Boast, which was my first job out of college. Okay. And were you, is that the first business you started? I was the first hire. I was just a 22-year-old marketer. Oh, okay. And it was with a bunch of fashion execs. I got really lucky. I, I started as an intern at this company that bought the trademark to um, this business. Actually, it's a a Japanese maple leaf that looks a lot like a pot leaf. It's this tennis brand that was uh, relaunched from 1973 that they brought back to life. And it resonated with a ton of people back in the day because it was like a big country club brand, like similar to Lacoste. And they bought the trademark to it, relaunched it in 2013. And I just happened to find out about this company and apply to be an intern. I got in converted into full-time within two months and then eventually ran marketing and sales for the company um, over the next like two years. Well, so how did you make the shift? Cause obviously, you know, I have a lot of folks on here or just a lot of people in general life, they would continue down that path, safe job, doing well, moving their way up. When did you decide to, cause it looks like with, and if I'm pronouncing it, pronouncing it, is it Wallaco was the first company you started? Was that right? Why that, why did you decide to leave and decide to start that uh, business? Was I was playing there? around with concepts the whole time when I was at Boast. Um, first, I was so early on at Boast where it felt like it was my own startup, even though oh, it was okay. not at all. Um, yeah. I think that for me, I loved the energy of being on a team of like six people that were trying to just do everything they can to sell it. We had a, we en- ended up building a couple retail stores. We sold it to like a couple hundred country clubs. We had some urban streetwear stores that we were selling the brand into. 
it was really built just from the ground up. So from there, um, you know, direct to consumer businesses made a lot of sense. I was going to remain to be like relatively entrepreneurial with my like next pursuits. Wolico was solely because of the fact that how an e-commerce business, but I wanted skin in the game. So this guy, um, Terry White started uh, via Kickstarter at Wolico. And then we ended up just um, building the brand up from there, applying a lot of the concepts that I had learned previously to grow an e-commerce business hmm. from, from you know zero to one. What were some of the, what was the outcome of that business? Still growing. It's doing well. Oh, so it's still, I mean, it's still, okay. That, that yeah, business is mean, still going. Okay. They, they just launched a version, like a new set of compression shorts this past week. But um, yeah, the, the direct to consumer business, it's revenue funded. Um, they saw there's, we sold uh, to about, 30 different Equinox locations and a couple of other select gyms. But for the most part, it's a direct to consumer business that has a men's and apparel, uh, a men's and women. I think there's like 30 different products um, and it's been pretty consistent in the growth. I see. Okay. Are you still active with that business or did you transition? Is this kind of where batch came around? You're like, you decided to transition out of that. How did that all work? Sure. So, as a friend, I'm still active, but, um, like in terms of, I just like to like Terry's a buddy and I just keep in touch with them. But, um, when looking at the transition from, um, we'll go to batch, it solely came out of the opportunity to build a tech company. Cause I was really excited to build something that could be explosive. Mm-hmm. So at the time, think about it. I had a lot of apparel experience. It's a, I, I understood how to kind of grow those businesses, but I was eager for more tech companies were more complex, but at the same time you're reading TechCrunch and seeing like multi-billion dollar valuations. And I just want to build something big and explosive. And yeah. Batch, uh, the the idea was something that we were playing around with uh, a lead investor and myself and uh, eventually my partner, Greg, where we were just like thinking about group travel. You know, there's a lot of potential in the space, but the use case that we went to market with was bachelor and bachelorette parties because when you think about those parties, if you do get engaged and you're going to go on a batch party at some point with like in the year leading up to your wedding versus group travel, a lot of people commit to trips, but they never end up going, you know? So um, bachelor bachelorette parties made a lot of sense because of the niche and also because they spend a lot of money on these parties that no, no one was monetizing at the time. Yeah, because I've been on several, um, and some on your list there, some great spots uh, you guys have started with. What? Um, Where? Yeah, tell me. I've been to Nashville, uh, New Orleans, uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. Yeah, some some fun fun trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been. I haven't uh-huh. been on bachelor party. I've been to Scottsdale, not on a bachelor party, um, but that would have been fun. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's so interesting too, because, you know, and I will get into this, but just the dynamic of these different cities and what they offer. And, you know, there's so many different opportunities there. One's so different than the other. Um, but let me ask you this though, that the original ideation, what was, is the idea today that you have similar to, was it what it was back then? Or have you done some pivoting and, and altered the idea through the last couple of years? The general concept of making an app that can help plan and book bachelor bachelorette parties is similar. 
the way that we've executed on that has gone through many iterations over time. Can you share a little bit like what's what's one or two kind of that you've maybe I don't know if it's tough decisions to make. Maybe they were easier. I don't know, uh, depending behind closed doors of like, you know, what direction, because ultimately maybe one direction would have changed the entire course of the business, you know? Mm -hmm. So batch plan. So I mentioned planning. So the app does, those are the two core things that the app does. So mm -hmm. the planning tools, you invite your friends you chat, you put an itinerary together and you could split up expenses. That was the use case that we wanted to kind of like prove or show demand through. And then the way that we'd actually monetize the app was through um, creating marketplace and then taking a percentage of the transactions that are booked with each of our vendors. Yeah. So when you think about um, how we just went about like creating this product, we knew that we could get a lot of interest on the consumer side mm -hmm. through just building these planning tools, but we'd ha we wouldn't have a way to monetize it if it wasn't for the marketplace. So it's like we proved the planning tools first, rolled out that product, and then layered in the marketplace on top of it. Yeah. How do you control, you know, when I was doing some research on this, because again, it looks like some, maybe, I'll tell you what, let me take a step back, because maybe folks listen in, they're like, okay, I can go research. What? Why don't you give the, give the, like, the pitch of actually what they would do. Like, if someone wanted to plan a, a bachelorette party, what would they do? They go to the app, what's the experience like? Sure. So, um, so your best friend just got engaged, and um, you know that if you've done this before, it's a, it, it's quite a pain to try to get everybody to agree on any sort of decision making. So you want somewhere where you could house facilitate decisions in one place. So you download Batch, you invite your friends, you chat with them to figure out what you want to do. Um, you can host polls within our app as well, and then when you get to a point where you're thinking where you've decided on your location, you add that you know, via our marketplace, you can read about it in the city guides that we offer and you can start booking experiences. So if you go to Nashville, you can book a honky tonk party express bus. Um, you can book a candle making class. Um, you can book a pontoon boat. So you, you can just add all of this to your itinerary and book it directly in our app so that you, you never have to use any other tools or mm -hmm. any other software. Um, you can plan all of this in 15 minutes um, and it, it doesn't take a lot of time. It just makes the decisions of the group really easy to figure out what you want to do, when, and where you're going, how much you're spending, and all of those details. Hmm. How did you go for the, you know, I've had a few folks on the podcast talk about their, the good and bad of building their app. What, what was the development process like of getting the app actually up and running and operational? Was that fairly stress-free or, <laughs> or did you have some hurdles there? No, it's, it's a brutal process. I think that if you're listening in right now, I would say that there are so many firms can claim they can make an app. It's always multiples more expensive than you originally think it will be. And, you know, multiples of like in terms of complexity as well. So we built one, our, our original MVP failed um, it was through a tech firm. We had a dated tech stack. We had no idea what we were doing. I was a non-technical founder at first. So I think that the, it was just a, like a research phase of, hey, fortunately, we cut it off really early after the first two months of realizing we were going the wrong way. And then we just brought in people who 
were contracted who could really speak to, hey, I've done this before and I can tell you what tech stack you should be using. So we ended up just contracting uh, product managers early on and then building out our MVP with an offshore team. And we just got lucky with that combination um, in terms of building our MVP, but it wasn't until we already failed once yeah. and then and then really put a lot more thought into how we wanted to grow the product and build a scalable technology platform. And was that partially the the vendor you chose to develop it, or was that maybe the direction you gave them? Like, if you're introspective on it, was it what was the what was the catalyst of maybe of why it didn't work the first time? It's so funny whenever you start anything and you look back when you first started and you're just like, wow, we really didn't know what we were doing. But it was it I felt right. The, it probably felt right. At least. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I think back then it was, it was, um, that was a, a key element was bring on a, a partner. Like, so I brought on my partner, Greg at the time, who was the first or second hire at blade, which is the Uber for helicopters, um, mm -hmm. basically New York. And, um, he was key in terms of saying, Hey, I don't know what you're working on here, but let's talk about this and figure out a way we can make this better. And I know some people who can advise on the subject as well. So I would say, you, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. How did you meet Greg? What was that? Was that more serendipity or did you know him for a while or? Yeah, we were friends. We, um, we were 22 or 23 years old. He called me on a customer service call actually when I was at Boast and we ended up like linking up because he was trying to figure out what belt size he was. I happened to pick up the phone and then we ended up meeting for lunch because we were both young and there was some relevance with the stuff that we were working on. Oh, wow. And then we just developed a friendship from there. So it's kind of funny. And then we just stayed in touch and um, yeah. And like always kind of wanted to build something together because he has a lot of energy and ability to go open up doors that I was, and I was more on the operational side in terms of how to like, like build something from zero to one. So we had yeah. a nice combination of strengths. Absolutely. Well, that goes back to kind of support systems that always seem to be important to get where you're going. Do, do you have like mentors that kind of helped you out along this journey uh, that you lean on, you know, to ask some of these difficult questions of like, what the heck am I, should I do? Anyone, anything you'd share, maybe you don't have to share the person's name if you don't want, but like maybe any advice you've learned from them um, along the way? Absolutely. I, so I think that key values in the very beginning come down to um, patience and going out and just like, like just creating something from nothing and not being afraid to just knock down every single door that gets in the way. So lead investors are really helpful to articulate those values. Um, and especially because it was like, look, this MVP might not work. Don't worry about it. Build the things that, you know, build, build a product that you'd be really proud of at the end of the day, even if it takes, you know, more patience, more time, more money, um, you can figure all that stuff out. So I think that having patience was really important early on. I think from there, building the support network, um, I, you know, we, we've enlisted advisors, we have a board of directors, we have um, informal advisors. It's really just a number of people who can help. But I would say the number one thing at this stage, um, you know, I mentioned that I was a runner. We, when I was a runner, we had um, coaches of all sorts. We had weight trainers, nutritionists, physical therapists. Startups should have the same sort of support. So I believe in therapy. I believe in coaching. I believe in anything. You know, you have to treat 
executives at a startup company or anybody working at a startup company, like they're a professional athlete because of how strenuous this is. Um, so I'm a big believer in enlisting all sorts of support at early stages. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's, you know, building a, a great team around you too, right? I mean, making sure you have the, because if you start, I, I don't remember where I read this, but like your first five hires are like the most important in the organization because that really builds the structure of the culture, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of going between, you know, just you and Greg to actually bring on other folks if you have and how that process has worked. Um, how you know when to hire the next person? Like, at what point do you say, oh, we need someone versus, hey, we can keep going down the line a little bit longer? Sure. Yeah, you're the sum of the five people that you're closest with or something. That was a quote that was actually on our Slack this morning. Um, so it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I would say in the very beginning, it came down to what is viable. So it was a matter of looking at contracted support and thinking, well, when is the earliest that we can justify bringing this person on full-time? Um, so examples would be uh, Sarah, who's now our COO, started as a product manager that was contracted, and then she became VP of product and then now COO. And it was just a decision to say, hey, you know, she she blew it out of the, you know, blew it out of the water early on. Um, and then kind of, we would just set clear thresholds in place to say at this point, like we can, we would go to our board and say, Hey, we think that this makes a lot of sense to bring this person on board. So it's really just about setting tangible metrics and, and thresholds to say, I think this makes sense to make this adjustment. What do you think? And, and then it's about finding what makes most sense in terms of your hiring roadmap. So for us early on, our strengths were, on the business and the operational side, on the marketplace side and signing up new vendors. But our weak points were that neither of us were technical. So we needed a really good VP of product and VP of engineering. So that was, those were the first kind of, uh, those were er very early on that we targeted. And then another example is our first hire was actually Anthony, who's our creative director because of the importance of creating a brand. Yeah. So you know, so it just comes out of what is what are the biggest needs for the company? What are the thresholds that we can set in place for both, you know, for the full time person to understand what would be needed to justify this? And then as well to talk about for our own standpoint or our board standpoint to justify the hire as well. Yeah. How do you get the day to day? You seem very relaxed, very kind of chill. Like, do you have anxiety or like, where the hell am I going with this thing? Like, do you, do you have days where there's despair internally? Tell me a little bit about your demeanor and mindset as you kind of walk through each day and kind of growing this thing. Oh, well, I mentioned I'm a big coaching guy. So um, I had a coach early on through the pandemic. That was a stressful time because I'm a travel tech business. And yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask about that. I was, I, we we're going to get to that. I was curious. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, that was stressful. Now it's fun. I mean, we've grown 8X in the past three months, man. It's blowing up. So I, I'm very happy with the position that we're in right now. And most problems are in business, I think, are pretty solvable. I think, I think that when it comes to like, well, is our marketplace sufficient? Do we have like supply versus demand equilibrium? Like those are all con business concepts that you can address and figure out. People problems are significantly more complicated. That's why, again, like I think, um, you know, coaching, therapy, all that kind of stuff it comes in, into place right then. And I think for me at this current stage, I'm a lot less stressed on the day-to-day -day than I was in 
um, the pandemic and early on because of how explosive the growth has been. How did you all get through the pandemic? How did you all get through the, how did you get through the pandemic? Oh man, um, moved home and then <laughs> figured out, no. So um, in March and April of last year, we sent everybody home on like March 5th or something because we saw this was going down and we got ahead of it. And we knew that it was going to take more time and more money to in order to hit the goals that we we're going to hit So um, and come out of this alive. So um, we refunded a few hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in our first, you know, in, in like the second half of March or something. So that was the first thing first was take care of the customers, make sure that everybody who is booked is going to get refunded. Number two was obviously take care of our team, make sure that everybody stays safe and healthy um, and is like in a good position, um, like, you know, whether they're at home or wherever that they can stay sane through this. And then number three was just business longevity. So that came down to raising more money. We, we raised a seed extension last fall and then um, just had a very clear roadmap and had to articulate very clearly to our investors, um, you know, what our plan was to come out of this, not only alive, but thriving. Yeah. Was there some of that, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but I'm thinking of you as the experienced runner, like antsy before the race, like excited to get in the track. Like did, we saw this coming where, Hey, we're going to start opening back up the vaccines. there. like, could you guys see this in like December, January, February, like, okay, spring, summer, it is going to hit hard. Like, how did you plan kind of the, the restart, if you will, anything in particular y'all did, uh, um, we just knew that there was going to be a boom when we come out of this. So I think if I, if I look back at my investor updates, they're all about, Hey, there's going to be a big opportunity and we have not, and we have the chance to be the number one or first to market when all of this is over. So we're going to do everything that we can to build out this marketplace and make sure we have a world-class product to come back like with a vengeance when this mm-hmm. is over. So what we did was we built up a ton of demand. We have, like on, we're on track to have 50,000 monthly active parties at this point by the summer. Um, we had a clear roadmap of how we wanted to get there on the user growth side. We had three cities when we launched last year initially. Now we have 14 cities in our marketplace. Hmm. And then our product has gone, gone through many evolutions last year. So you could actually say or debate that the pandemic afforded us to be in a much stronger position that we otherwise would have because it allowed us to put a lot of work in um, to make sure that we had something great for our user base. And you look at it as an opportunity as best you can, you know, you take the positive or you can, you know? Yeah. Um, Opportunity and crisis. Exactly. What's uh, what's been the hardest part for you personally, this whole journey you've been on, is there one moment that sticks out um, that's, that's been the toughest? Batch has been explosive. We've had we we are extremely lucky to have the team that we have. Um, the hardest for me was when I was younger and building these other companies because they were bootstrapped. It was so early on. I, I really kind of didn't know what I didn't know, you know. Yeah. And and I think on so honestly, it's just been a learning game. It's like for me, building Batch and the success that we're seeing is a result of like the eight years of entrepreneurship that I put in, not just like the past two, because um, that was the time where it's kind of like you're learning your craft. And that's a stressful time because 
you know, is the company going to run out of money? Is it like, are you going to be able to like, you know, buy groceries? Like there's that, that was, that has all happened in my life. So I feel like the next day is just, I'm very confident because of what I've learned to say, okay, now we're going to build something big and like, we're going to just handle each of these um, kind of problems that come up, even something like COVID the best way that we possibly can, like because of the advisors and the mentors that we have placed as well. Yeah. Well, so if you had to go back to, I always like to go back to the younger self, that, that 15 year old or someone there, um, and you have a post-it note. So you have a small piece of advice you can write down for them. Maybe it's a quote, inspirational, whatever. What would you share then? What you've learned through this whole process? Is there anything that's been really, um, I guess, impactful or overarching, uh, that you've taken with you? Oh man. Um, we were, as I said, we were just talking about quotes this morning that are like motivational, but for us or for me personally, if you're choosing to go through entrepreneurship, you just need to get started and just like kickstart the process, just build something, put it out to market, learn, learn, learn. So I do, I do have a younger cousin or like there are some younger people in my life that I'm just like just do it just get just launch something and roll with it whenever people call me for advice about starting businesses I just say just get started and then I think that number two besides just like push something into reality realize how hard it can be and maybe fail once or twice Mm -hmm. number two is all right now think about from an opportunity perspective when evaluating a business and some like the viability behind it um it's it really comes down to is this worth like the next 10 years of your life and sacrificing everything that you're doing so i think that with like evaluating opportunities is actually really important because you spend so much of your time on it and like you need to so you need to look at all the risks behind a business the same way that an investor would so it's like is there competition in this business like how, you know, what does product market fit look like? How do you monetize this? Are the, are the margins strong enough to support like a growth model? So I think that looking at a business as an investor, when you're looking at building it is pretty important. Yeah. So what are y'all excited about now? You got, we're coming out of the pandemic, you have 14 cities, you got a lot of events now book. What, what's the next six months of a year? What, what are you guys excited? Uh, Should be pretty nuts. Um, I mean, Right now, I'm excited to provide a great experience for all of the parties that are currently in our app because they're all about to go on their parties in the next couple months. So I'm excited to see the content and what that actually looks like when these guys are having a great time. We're 92% bachelorettes. Um, and, and this summer, when we hit June, our goal is to be at 50,000 monthly active parties. And of that... Nashville is 20% of the U.S. market share. So there's a chance we could have 10,000 parties a month in Nashville. So that would be really cool to yeah, see yeah. what that actually looks like yeah. um, to be sending that many parties on a monthly basis. So I think, you know, the most exciting thing is provide a great experience, see what that actually looks like, be serving that many people on this platform, um, and then drive customer acquisition for our vendors. Like it's an exciting time for them because, um, there, a lot of these guys are mom and pop shops, so yeah. they want somebody to be able to just create all this awareness for their business. 
So I think that the most exciting thing is just building out our teams to cater towards both of these groups, the vendor side and the customer side. So you continue to scale the biz, the business. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it is kind of cool how you're bringing both of these together, right? And you're kind of helping out on both ends, not only the folks planning, but also all those businesses in each of those cities, right? Because they need to not only get back up to speed, but they need to continue to grow and, and obviously stay in business. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, where can everyone connect with you? If they wanted to say hello online, check out what you're doing, where's the best place? Um, for me personally, LinkedIn is probably easiest. And then um, if they want to look at Batch, you know, download the app, go to thebatch.com, check out the Batch Party on Instagram. We have a really funny Instagram account. So those are the ways to find us. Yeah. And can they go, um, and again, I didn't, I didn't download the app, but can, can they go look at certain things and they have to sign up before they uh, go through the, the process or they can they kind of look and see, hey, this is a, a sample that I could go through? How does that work? You can go on our uh, website and see our city guides right now. Okay. So if you go on the batch.com, look at city guides of Nashville or, or Miami, you can see all the fun stuff there is to do in those cities. And then you know, downloading the app just requires your email and, and your name. So I think that um, you could, it should take like 10 seconds to sign up. Yeah, I was really impressed with the city guides. Um, I can't remember what I was looking at, but it was like a lot of data on there and research y'all did. So kudos to you guys for putting that together. Um, yeah, because that would have been helpful. I'm thinking back years ago and all these bachelor parties went on instead of just kind of right. like ro rolling with the punches and figuring it out. I don't know, you know especially as a first time person and you don't want a company to convince you of what you should do. You want other people like going on parties. That's why ratings and reviews are so important and looking at the overall data of like, all right, well, where are people actually going in Miami? You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's been fun, man. I'm glad to uh, get a chance to meet you and chat a little bit. And uh, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Of course. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by the Just Get Started podcast. Uh, grateful to have you here. And if I could just make one quick ask before you run along on your day, you know, I've grown this podcast organically over the last three plus years. And it's from the great listeners that pick up, you know, a quote or a key learning or just enjoy the entertainment of the podcast and they share it out to their audience. They leave a review on Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Um, and I'd ask that for you as well. If you've made it to this point and are listening in, um, a lot of the podcast uh, platforms that you listen on have a share button right there where you can share it out to your audience on various platforms. So I would be so appreciative if you wouldn't mind taking a quick second to do that um, if you really enjoyed this episode. So thanks again. I'm happy to connect online. I always love to meet new people. So if you want to go to my website, brianandraco.com, or connect with me. I'm at Brian Andreco, basically everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, even Clubhouse, that new app that's out there. Uh, you name it. So uh, follow me online and uh, certainly look forward to connecting further. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm -hmm.